The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Cleveland Clinic, ranked number one in the nation in heart care 24 years in a row, according to U.S. News & World Report. For information on the complex cases treated at Cleveland Clinic or to get a second opinion, visit clevelandclinic.org slash heartcare. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, May 2nd. In today's news, a former CIA case officer pleads guilty to spying for China. The uprising against Nicolas Maduro loses steam. And the immigration wars escalate. But first, the big idea. Attorney General Bill Barr defended his handling of special counsel Bob Mueller's investigation during an often contentious Senate hearing yesterday. Barr dismissed Mueller's letter questioning the attorney general's summary of the probe's findings as, quote, snitty. Wednesday's hearing underscored how devoted Democrats are to pressing questions of Trump's conduct and fitness for office. But it also showed the equal or maybe even greater determination by Barr and Republican lawmakers to move on. After the hearing ended, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham, the Republican from South Carolina, announced that he will not call Mueller to testify and that he has no interest in hearing from him. Justice Department officials then notified the House Judiciary Committee that Barr will no longer appear at a hearing scheduled for this morning to discuss the Mueller probe. Barr's aides claim he's not showing up because he doesn't want to answer questions from staff lawyers for the committee, only members of Congress. But Democrats say they were willing to accommodate on that point. His refusal to appear before the House today comes on the heels of his decision to ignore a deadline yesterday to respond to a subpoena for a copy of the unredacted Mueller report. Taken together, the likelihood that he will be held in contempt of Congress just went way up. During his Senate appearance yesterday, the attorney general parried many of the toughest accusations and questions from Democrats with avuncular answers about legal definitions and Justice Department policies, exasperating lawmakers like Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island, who accused Barr of masterful hair-splitting. By aggressively downplaying the president's efforts to get former White House counsel Don McGahn to remove Mueller, Barr often sounded more like Trump's defense attorney than the nation's chief law enforcement officer. In Barr's telling, Trump may have merely been trying to correct media reports he believed were inaccurate. He cited the president's public explanations for his behavior, even though the president refused to provide testimony about it under oath. And he discounted as weak the case that Trump's actions were part of a criminal effort to thwart a federal investigation, despite the fact that Mueller said in his report that, quote, substantial evidence indicated the president was acting to prevent scrutiny of his conduct in the obstruction inquiry. In a day of prickly testimony, the focus on Barr's views of the McGahn episode provided the most revealing look yet at Barr's rationale for determining that there was not sufficient evidence to charge Trump with trying to thwart the probe. Barr's handling also underscored how Mueller's by-the-book silence has enabled Trump and his allies to cast the probe's findings in the most favorable light possible for the president. Mueller's reverence for the rule of law and his rigid adherence to protocol have bolstered the credibility of his report. But the special counsel's deference to procedure and bureaucratic authority has also enabled Trump and his allies to dominate the debate over the investigation's results. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, it's hard to overstate the growing threat posed by a rising China. Former CIA case officer Jerry Lee pleaded guilty in federal court yesterday to conspiring to commit espionage for China. 
But Lee's sentence will likely be significantly shorter than previously expected because the guilty plea he entered describes the information he divulged as secret rather than top secret, even though U.S. intelligence officials tell us they still believe the former agent is responsible for compromising and betraying CIA sources inside China. The Chinese are leading a global renaissance of autocracy that not only threatens to erode American power, but freedom itself. Authorities over there have compiled a database that tracks the location of all its citizens, their mobile app usage, how often they go to church, and their level of electricity consumption. It's being used now as part of a crackdown on an estimated one million Muslim citizens. Our Jerry Shi reports on a growing body of testimony and a trove of government procurement documents that paint a picture of oppression, especially in the Xinjiang region. Chinese authorities have relied on far-reaching electronic surveillance to dictate who is forced into a mass internment program. After denying their existence for a year, Chinese authorities now argue that the network of detention centers they built are for re-education and de-radicalization of Muslims who they claim want to bring down the state. China has also dubiously asserted that it is now a near-Arctic power, its words, in a bid to encroach on what's long been an American sphere of influence. The U.S. Navy and Marine Corps are promising this morning to push back with a show of force. The Navy will undertake extensive Arctic operations this summer and fall, while the Marines will step up training in Alaska to an extent not seen since the Cold War. As the Arctic opens up to greater navigation, because of climate change, major powers are vying for supremacy over areas previously locked under ice. One reason this matters? There's a lot of oil under that ice. Number two. Thousands of demonstrators showed up in the streets on May Day to support Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido as they tried to regain some momentum in their campaign to oust President Nicolas Maduro. Yet the chaotic events of Tuesday, which began with Guaido calling for a peaceful insurrection by the military and ended with few takers and Maduro still very much in the presidential palace, left opposition supporters grappling with a sense of a pivotal moment lost. Many in the ranks remain resolute. But there are strains of confusion and disappointment. The Trump administration publicly blames Russia and Cuba, Maduro's top backers, for keeping him in place and discouraging expected high-level defections. On Wednesday, as Washington and Moscow traded barbs, the White House held an emergency meeting of top national security aides to mull next steps. Top Pentagon officials emphasized non-military options and said they've not been given orders to pre-position troops or prepare for conflict. But we're hearing that there's some significant infighting inside the White House about the best course of action. National Security Advisor John Bolton's staff clashed with General Paul Selva, the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, during another meeting last week. The soft-spoken Air Force general was giving an update on the Pentagon's view and making the case against a risky escalation by the U.S. Then Bolton aides, including Mauricio Claver Carone, the Western Hemisphere director on the National Security Council, repeatedly interrupted and demanded detailed military options. Selva, irritated at the interruptions and confrontational style, slammed his hand down on the desk, his ring hitting the wood with a sharp crack. Bolton deputy Charles Kupperman, who was chairing the meeting, then adjourned the session way earlier than planned. Number three, the White House sent Congress an emergency request for $4.5 billion in emergency spending for the border yesterday. The request includes $3.3 billion for humanitarian assistance and $1.1 billion for border operations. It represents a dramatic escalation of the administration's efforts to address the situation at the border. Democrats responded with skepticism. 
In its plea for funds, the administration describes the migrants as vulnerable children and families whose situation requires resources to sustain critical and life-saving missions. The message in the request is quite the opposite from Trump's description of the border crisis as an invasion of criminals and gang leaders. The sharp dichotomy between the president's rhetoric and the tone of his aides reflects how they're waging a battle on separate fronts, one political and the other operational, as the administration struggles to deal with a mounting humanitarian crisis at the U.S. border with Mexico. And the human toll continues to get higher. A 16-year-old Guatemalan boy who crossed the border without his parents has died after spending several days at a hospital in Texas. He deteriorated shortly after he arrived at the Casa Padre Shelter, a converted Walmart that houses about 1,400 miners in the border city of Brownsville. Officials haven't released a cause of death, and the case remains under investigation. But the boy is the third migrant child to die in U.S. government custody in the past five months. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, May 2nd. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.